Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, our focus this morning will be on verse 18, but we're going to look at about 40 verses here. Uh, we're not going to read 40 verses to get started, but we will look at many of them, if not most, throughout the message this morning. Psalm 119, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 17. The Bible says there, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for longing, for the longing that it hath unto thy judgment at all times. Verse 18 again, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I'm going to speak to you this morning on the thought with eyes wide open. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, the time together. Lord, I pray that you would take your word now and that you would open our hearts to it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be able to work freely amongst us. I pray that you would help us focus on the truth of this passage and make application to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's, it's funny in life, uh, but it really is amazing what we don't see. There are a lot of things that we look at and we see clearly and then we uh, look at again and uh, see something different. <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the, this week we had, uh, since I've been getting better than we've had our two of our, grand, our granddaughters have been at the house for a couple of days and, uh, and then I think we get the baby tonight and then uh, Jaden and Sarah have been coming over a lot uh, and so it's, there's been a lot of activity, there's been a lot of extra dishes, there's been a lot of uh, extra everything. And so uh, I've been trying to kind of help out at times. And so I was putting something away. I was putting it Sonia has this big, uh, a bunch of measuring cups. One of them is pretty big. I mean, the thing's like practically a bowl. Uh, and so, and she's real organized in how she has things set in the kitchen. She knows where she likes everything. And, uh, you know, once in a while, uh, somebody will come in and they'll start trying to help and they'll put things away uh, and then she can't find anything because they didn't put it where it goes and so I operate that way a lot and so I can appreciate that but when you're standing at the sink the lower cabinets the one on the far right is almost all glass it's Pyrex it's it's glass bowls it's just almost everything in that with the exception of a couple of colanders that are plastic is glass and the one next to it Almost everything is plastic. It's Tupperware. It's it's little Glad containers. You know, it's um, it's the Chick Fil A salad bowls that that she doesn't want to throw away, so she washes them because they're good to bring lunch to school in, uh, and that kind of thing. So, but for some reason, she keeps the glass measuring cups with the plastics. Now I don't understand why. Uh, I don't understand why she does that. All I know is uh, I knew that it didn't go over here. And so I'm asking. She came through the kitchen. I said, I know that this doesn't go with the other glass stuff. Where does this go? Uh, and so uh, she says, right there, uh, under there, right under there. And so when you open our bottom cabinet, it's got a half shelf. So you got all this stuff on the bottom, and then it's got a half shelf. Well, there's this big open void. And she says, right there with that other measuring cup. And I'm like, there's not another measuring cup there. And so there's like a normal size measuring cup tucked under there, but it's dark. And you have to understand, and, and uh, you know, and if, uh, most of you know my wife, but I'm six foot three, she's four foot 11. So we have very different vantage points, all right, of bottom shelf and top shelf. There are a lot of things uh, on the top shelf that I can plainly see that she has no clue what's up there. 
And there are a lot of things on the bottom shelf that she can clearly see, but I have no clue what's up there. So I'm looking and I'm like, and she's almost getting frustrated. I hope she didn't go home and start listening again. She was at the early service. Uh, I, I kind of edited this part out when she was here in the first service. She's getting kind of frustrated with me because I can't see it, you know, and I'm just, I'm looking here and there's this little cup and I'm like, there's nothing there. And she's like, yes, it is. And I'm like, listen, I'm too fat and too old to get on my hands and knees so I can see this thing. Uh, and so finally, there was something about the light. I don't know if I moved over and, uh, and the glare reflected the light behind me onto it so I could see, but there was a little bit of just a glisten of the glass handle uh, on that smaller cup. Oh, now I get it. This is kind of a running joke when our oldest son was growing up that if, if he went and he'd go look for something and couldn't find it, and she'd walk right into the area and just put her hand on immediately. So it's kind of like a, a running joke at times, like, did, did you look? I can't find it. Well, did you? We called him Buddy. His name is David, but we always called him Buddy at home. Uh, and and he said, did you look? Did you Buddy look or did you really look? And so did you, did you find it? And so it's just a different vantage point. Um, you know, so we're like that a lot with the scripture. Uh, this week, I don't know if you've followed the news closely, I, I follow it pretty close, especially uh, what is put on news apps. I'll, I'll kind of scan, I don't get to watch a lot, but I'll scan what's on my phone app, and headline-wise at least, pretty regularly. And, and you know how it is here in the summer whenever the motorcycle thing's going on down at Galveston. There's like, it seems like everywhere you go on 146 or on I-10, when everybody's rumbling into town, it's like they're everywhere. Well, this last week, that's going on in South Dakota, out in the southwest corner around Mount Rushmore and Custer, uh, I forget if it's state or national park, but there are thousands of motorcyclists up in that part this week. Well, there's also a lot of buffalo in, that, in those parks. And so the report was is that everywhere these, these people went on their motorcycles, every road, it seemed like there were these massive herds of buffalo. Uh, and buffalo are, they're, they're not being driven, so they just kind of do what buffalo do. A road really doesn't mean a lot to them. I remember uh, one year when we drove uh, one of the kids out to school in California that we took, Sonia, it was just Sonia and I coming back, and we took really a long way back. I mean, we left Lancaster down by Los Angeles and went up to Sequoia, then we went all the way up to Yosemite, then we came down through Death Valley and went to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And so on the north rim, there was a big herd of buffalo out there, and they were just, they weren't, they were not impressed by my truck. They were not threatened by my truck. They didn't want to move for my truck. So you can imagine at how intimidated they were by a motorcycle. Uh, and so there's this herd of about 500 buffalo on the road. And so they're, they're sort of kind of crossing it, but really they're more just there and grazing. And so these motorcyclists have no choice but to just park. And so they're waiting. Uh, and as they're waiting, uh, you know, you can, you can, I get frustrated at a traffic light. I mean, I, I was driving in this morning. I was running a little bit late and I'm, I'm at the light in front of Walmart on 146 and I'm looking all the way up by the interstate and the light is already green and this light's still red and I'm thinking, great. I'm running late. By the time this turns green, that's going to be red. And I'm going to hit it right when it begins. So it's going to be like 30 minutes before it changes again. And that's what it feels like to me. Uh, and so I actually made it through. But you can imagine sitting there waiting on, waiting on these buffalo. Here these motorcyclists are. And, and they could have taken 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour or two or however long they wanted. 
So this particular lady, and this happened this week. I'm not making this up. You can look at it in the news. She decides that it'd be a good idea to approach one of these buffalo. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a buffalo up close, but they're massive and they're pretty feisty. And the report was is that the people that had been seeing these buffalo all over the place had reported that they were all pretty feisty. They were, uh, they were, you know, going after each other. They were hopping around. There was a lot more energy. So not only did this lady decide that she was going to approach a buffalo, but she decided to approach a buffalo that was nursing its calf. So she gets close to the buffalo. There are literally, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand or more motorcyclists watching. And this buffalo decides that her calf is threatened and attacks this woman and is thrashing her around, pushes her across the street into the high grass and continues to whirl her about until it literally ripped her jeans off of her. And they didn't show a picture of her, but they did show a picture of the site and her jeans still at the site. Somehow, miraculously, and she was air flighted to a hospital, she was left unconscious by the, by the buffalo. It probably thought it killed her since she was unconscious and, le- and finally disengaged. And then they rushed over to help. People called 911. They life flighted her to a hospital. And somehow, miraculously, she survived with only minor in- injuries. But the reality is, is that everybody that was there in that crowd saw a buffalo. But not everybody that was there in that crowd saw danger. Everybody there saw this massive herd, but not everybody there saw or understood the potential of what could happen if you get too close to it, if you approach it. And I think that a lot of times that we as Christians approach life and in particular approach principles from God's word in much the same way. We see what we've been conditioned to see. We see what everyone around us sees. But we are not always open to and willing for the Spirit of God to show us true, deep meaning. When he says here, the psalmist, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. It's an interesting statement to me because I don't perceive that this psalmist, though he doesn't list for us the author uh, or the writer, excuse me, that he, uh, that he, it doesn't seem that he's someone that doesn't know the word of God. Psalm 119 is kind of that chapter in the Bible that everyone kind of like reads up. We avoid it because it's so long. 176 verses. Uh, and so we, uh, we, we kind of read around it. Some, a lot of people do. I know myself, I kind of time my reading so that on the next day, I, I'll start with Psalm 119. And, and most of the time I'll read well beyond it, but I want my mind fresh. I don't want to read it at the end where I'm like, feel like I'm winding down and now I've got this really long chapter. It's hard for me to really glean what it's saying and focus on what it's saying. Uh, but if you know this psalm, you know that this psalm is dedicated in its entirety to the Word of God. So this isn't someone that doesn't value the Word of God. It's not someone that hasn't practiced the Word of God. It's not someone uh, that doesn't have great understanding. Yet he says, and as he's seemingly here praying, open thou mine eyes that I may behold. When's the last time that we sat down and opened our Bibles and before we, we started said, Lord, would you open mine eyes? <coughs> would you reveal to me uh, your truth? And, uh, and we know passages. There are a lot of times that I catch myself reading and I know what's coming next. 
I, I, it's, it's almost like when you're, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting in the den watching a, a TV show that you've watched a hundred times uh, and you're on your phone or your iPad or something at the same time that it's us. Really, it's just more background noise than it is uh, what you're really engaged in and watching. You're engaged more with your device. And if you're old enough in here that that doesn't affect you, there are plenty of you that are young enough that I probably just described your normal evening. So, you know, sometimes with Bible reading, it can be that way. It's like I'm so familiar with this text. I'm so familiar with this passage. And I'm so familiar with this storyline that my mind's already running ahead to what's coming next. And I'm getting distracted from what it's actually saying to me here. Or I am distracted by what I already think I know. Or I am distracted by the experiences of my life. So there's so many times that we miss what the Word of God is actually saying to us because we are interpreting it, interpreting it according to our own understanding. Our own understanding of the world around us. Our own understanding of its context. Our own understanding of what's gone on in, our, uh, in maybe my family life or my work life. Uh, sometimes we see according to our past experience. You know, there, there are a lot of times when, uh, when past experience caused us to predetermine uh, a judgment or an outcome. And so uh, that happens to me all the time. Sometimes someone will come up to the church in the, uh, in the middle of the week and as they approach, I'm already uh, kind of formulating an opinion as to why they're here. Sometimes uh, guests will come. We have guests in the service this morning and, uh, and a nice family. And so praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and we've had others through the pandemic, even though we've been very limited in what we can do outreach wise. But but, you know, there are a lot of times that somebody comes in and it's obvious that, uh, that they don't have a home or it's obvious that they're in transit. It's obvious that uh, the reason that they're here is because they need help for gas or they want a meal or, uh, you know, and, and usually, uh, you know, people that are sincerely searching for the Lord don't have a problem sitting through the service. But most of the time, folks like that, they, they want you to give them something so they can just get out of here. They're not interested in, in hearing from the Word of God. But I, I find myself at times kind of caught when someone comes in kind of making a, uh, a determination as to why they might be here. Now, that's not just based on random how I feel that day. That's based on, you know, 25 years of ministry experience and knowing what I have to deal with and, uh, and how things have to be addressed. But it's incredibly wrong and unfair to that one out of a hundred that come in that are truly seeking truth from God's word. And so we have to be cautious that we're not interpreting the scripture based upon our past experience. Past experience can be a wonderful, uh, a wonderful warning at times or encourager at others, but it should not be something that controls how I look at or make decisions about a current thing that I have to live with or decide or make a decision about. Sometimes we, uh, we see according to the opinions of others. Or we see according to the whims of the culture. If you look at what's going on around our country, uh, then you see a lot of things that are being done uh, that are just according to the whims of the culture. I praise the Lord for our first responders, our police officers, firefighters, this movement of defunding the police. And, and it's, 
uh, it's, it's insanity, really, in my opinion. Uh, but even more insane than uh, a lot of liberal cities wanting to take away money from the people that are protecting them. And I realize that the, the, no matter what you do, uh, there are going to be things that are misused, mis misapplied, whatever. Um, but that doesn't, you know, one rotten apple doesn't make every tree, every apple in the orchard bad. Uh, and so, uh, to my amazement, as I was scanning my headlines this week, I see, I think on yesterday, uh, that the whole liberal political crowd is outraged because uh, the police department in New York endorsed President Trump. Well, what do you expect? You took away a billion dollars of their budget and you think they're going to be happy to help you? I mean, come on. I mean, think a little bit, you know. And that, that seems pretty obvious to me. But you'd be surprised at how many people out there really just sincerely don't get it. Because they've been conditioned by the culture to think like the culture. And they interpret and they make decisions based upon the whims of culture. Now listen, what I'm saying this morning is that when we approach something in our life that's spiritual in nature, which in my opinion everything is, because I don't see where you can distinct, you can't separate your Christian life from your other life. There's, there's, there's not two distinct lives. I'm either a Christian living in God's will or I'm not. Uh, and so when I look at this and I, I, I look and consider that really what it is is that we see many times what we want to see. And we interpret things according to what we want them to say. I've learned this over the years, Brother Frankie. I could, I could make that Bible that you have sitting there in front of you say whatever I want it to say if I was so inclined. I don't consider myself to be a scholar. But I don't consider myself to be a novice. And I've been pastoring uh, for uh, 18 plus years and I have been in ministry for over 25. And I, I know it well enough that if I really want to make something seem like it says something, that I can find a verse that I can make say what I want it to say. Now that's not rightly dividing the word of truth. That is not honestly handling the word of God. But neither is reading something in its true context and making proper application and then rejecting it and its application to my life because I don't like it. And what I'm saying this morning is that we need to develop a culture in our own life and mind where our eyes are open to the truth of God's word and its reality. I, I have always been, uh, even before I was in the military, I've always been very patriotic and, and I just... The insanity of uh, kneeling for the anthem or burning a flag or tearing down statues. And listen, I realize there's a lot of things in our nation's history that, uh, that, that aren't good. But it's still our history. It's still who we are. And if you forget who you are, then you can't become who God wants you to be. And that's true in the Christian life as well, in my spiritual life. Uh, and I'm grateful that God has made me someone different, but I don't want to uh, not allow the Word of God to challenge who I am and how I think and how I develop as a Christian. The psalmist here says, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And the reality is this, that when everything is said and done, it is the word of God by which we will all be judged and it is God himself to whom we must give an answer. I'm not going to give an answer according to what other people's opinions were. I'm going to give an answer as to how I took the word of God and how I lived it. How I interpreted how I lived it. Uh, in that moment that I stand before God in judgment, my feelings will not matter. 
My experience will not matter. My excuses will not matter. The self-justifications that I have for the things that I do in my life will not matter if God's uh, judgment seat is a courtroom and I expect that there will be many similarities, then those things, my feelings and judgments and excuses will, would be inadmissible in his court because all that matters is the authority of his word. And it doesn't matter if I live my life according to His Word, but I lived it according to a misinterpreted version of His Word. If I misapplied His Word, that is no excuse. I will give an account to how I lived to God's Word as He gave it to His intent, not to my understanding. It's important that I understand what God gave and what God intends because that's what matters. And that's what I'll give an, an answer to. So that brings us to really the message this morning. And, and I, I say this by statement and question. The statement or the question is, am I willing to allow God to open my eyes? Have I already decided that I'm not going to do what God says because I don't like it or because it's inconvenient or because it challenges what I accept or am I going to allow God to show me his word minus my feeling, minus your opinion, minus the whims of the culture, minus what's convenient for me to understand. Am I willing to open myself up to make myself vulnerable, to block everything else out and to stand simply before God and say, God, show me your word. Teach me. Open thou mine eyes. Are you willing this morning to ask God to truly open your eyes? As a statement, I would say this, that when I am willing to allow God to open my eyes, number one this morning, I can obtain God's blessing. See, I cannot obtain God's blessing if I'm living according to my own will. And we all want God's blessing. I've never met a Christian that didn't want to have God's blessing on their life. I've never had a time in my life when I didn't want God's blessing. And so what we see here, uh, and we're not going to read this whole block of eight verses, but that's Psalm 119, if you understand it, it's, it's, it's divided into blocks of eight verses, and each one in the Hebrew, every verse or, or statement in that particular block begins with the same Hebrew letter. And that's what those little marks are up at the top above it. If you have that, uh, it's, the, it's the Hebrew letter. But number one this morning, I can obtain God's blessing. Two thoughts about that. First of all, blessing comes from living God's way. Notice verses 1 and 2 in Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of God. Not who walk according to their own will, not who walk according to their own understanding, not who walk according to the whim of culture. Those who walk in the law of God, blessed are they, in verse 2, that keep his testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. That kind of is a recurring theme here. If I don't seek God with all my heart, no matter what stage of life I'm in, then I'll never have all that God has for me and I'll never become all that God wants me to become. I'll never experience him. I'll never understand him. I must seek him. And we're going to talk about that some more. But blessing comes from living God's way. Listen, you can't live your way. I can't live my way and, and have God's blessing. I must live his way. I must live according to his word, according to his 
principles, according to what uh, his edict from the scripture. Secondly, I would say this, that blessing comes from seeking God, not self. We're selfish. We like to seek self. We like to do things our way. We like to live according to the flesh. We like to, uh, to take care of and look out for number one. Uh, but the reality is, and that's everybody, uh, the reality is, is that that's our natural go-to mode. And if I live my life, even if I come to a point where I want to change something or I want to do better, I can, by just self-discipline, change to do that for a while. But over time, I'm going to drift back to what my natural state was. That's, that's proven out for generations. So, Pastor, then how can I possibly please God, live God, have God's blessing? Well, the reality is that it is the spirit-filled life. The dead-to-self life. We don't have time this morning to go look at those verses in the New Testament, but we look at them and refer to them often. The reality is this, is that faith plus the Holy Spirit are necessary for me to succeed in having God's blessing in my life. Amen. I must live by faith, but even if I'm a person that says, yes, God, I believe you and I trust you, I'm going to put my faith in you, I cannot still do it successfully if I do it in my own power and strength. I must do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. That's why he gave us him as our indweller. That's why he made us, and I preached on Wednesday night, he's our guide. He, he enlightens us. He shows us the deep things of God's word. Uh, he sets those things in our life in order. He brings conviction to our heart when we stray from God and when we sin. He compels us uh, and restrains us from sinning. It is the word of God. It is the love of Christ. It is the faith that God has put in our heart, plus the Holy Spirit that are necessary for us to succeed in the Christian life. And if I'm willing to allow God to open mine eyes, I can obtain God's blessing. It is possible to live a life with God's blessing, but that life must be a life of faith and that, must, that life must be a life that is lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of self. Secondly, this morning, if I'm willing to allow God to open my eyes, I can be cleansed. I cannot do anything that God can bless until I'm cleansed. Now, I'm not talking about salvation here. When Jesus saved my soul, he changed my position. Before Jesus saved me, I was a creation of God. Once I took my faith and trust in Christ, I became a child of God. It's a very different positions. I, belong, I did not belong here. I, now I do. Now understand this morning, I know there's a lot of different philosophies uh, about church and ministry, but, but Jesus gave the church to believers. Now, we're all about outreach. We're all about bringing the lost to Christ. We're all about making disciples. We're all about all those things. But the reality is, a person that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior is not going to understand nor feel comfortable with Christians that are truly worshiping God doesn't mean that we don't want to welcome them. We certainly do. It doesn't mean that we don't want to see them come here. We, obviously, we do. I'm just saying that it's not natural to them. For us to come together and to sing about God's grace and God's power and God is our king, that's natural because he's our heavenly father. But for a lost man, that's not natural yet. And so when we come to a place, what I'm saying this morning is this, is that the word of God 
can open my eyes uh, to cleansing, uh, but, but I was cleansed of all the sins that I would ever commit when Jesus saved my soul. However, relationally, those sins change things. I, I went yesterday <coughs> for a, uh, a walk. It was a little bit later in the morning than what I've been doing, and I uh, got back. I went out and walked about five miles whenever it was probably about 93 or 4 degrees outside already. And so uh, I came in, I got through it, I felt okay. Uh, but I walked in and my wife uh, and both of my daughters, I don't think my son-in-law was there yet, uh, or he was in another room, and my two granddaughters were there sitting around a little table in the kitchen. Uh, and when I walked in, because uh, I usually, I come in, I change my shirt, and then I sit down with a bottle of Gatorade and just kind of cool off a little bit before I either go uh, do some other work outside or take a shower or get cleaned up. So they all look at me and almost in unison and said, Ooh, you stink. <laughs> yeah, I did. And anytime you go outside in this heat and work for a while, you're going to stink. Anytime you go out in the world, you're going to get the world on you. But cleansing, make, keeping short accounts of our sin, responding when the Holy Spirit reveals sin to us, that cleansing, that's what he's talking about here. And if I open my eyes to the word of God, it opens the door to allow me to be cleansed. I want you to notice in verse 11, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Then he goes on to tell us how we begin to hide it in our heart. Obviously, memorization, but uh, verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. Respect here doesn't just mean that, oh, that's a great idea. It means that it impacts and, and changes the way that I live my life. If I respect it, it impacts me. It, it brings change. In other words, I make application to my life. What are we here to do this morning? Worship God, obviously. But in the preaching, we want to hear the word of God. We want, to we want to have it made known to us, made plain to us, hopefully so that we can make application to our life. doesn't matter how inspired you are this morning or not. If you don't make application to your life, all you've done is go through an exercise. Application is required. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I'll make application of your word to my life. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. In other words, challenges come, temptation comes, decisions have to be made. I go to the word. How do I get through this? How do I make this decision? How do I evaluate this according to the word? Not according to my feeling, not according to my, uh, to my problem, not according to my anger or my bitterness or my frustration, not according to my happiness or my joy or, or my euphoria, but according to the word of God. I will not forget it. Why? Because it's committed to my heart. What does that allow in my life? That allows God to continually be cleansing my life so that our relationship is not impaired or interrupted because I am cleansed. Uh, I am in his presence. Blessing comes uh, in living God's way and in seeking God with our whole heart. But cleansing comes by knowing his word and by heeding his word. Take heed to his word. Pay attention to his word. Notice in verse number 9, he says, Wherewithal shall a young man take his way? By taking heed thereto. I must heed the word of God for it to impact me. Thirdly here, uh, with uh, being cleansed, I would say this. And here we see this recurring theme again in verse number 10. He says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Are we seeking him this morning with our whole heart? 
If you're keeping your, your outline there, I must seek God, not self. Seek Him. Here's what we do. I, I've, I've kind of grew up a lot in churches that had really kind of like a manufactured service. I know a guy who is an evangelist now who was a professional country music musician for 20 years. I had him come to uh, the church that I pastored in Arkansas one year and just do kind of a thing for a couple of days on music. And he did a demonstration uh, where he had everybody like laughing one minute and crying the next and some other emotion in between. You know, a lot of churches kind of orchestrate their services that way intentionally. It, it's, it's all about building. They know when you're going to laugh. They know when they want you to cry. They know how they want it to build to the end toward the invitation so that they provoke this huge response. You see that at camps a lot and youth conferences a lot. I'm not saying that they all do that. I'm, I, I am saying I don't operate that. I don't like that op mode of operation. If, if God is going to truly move, it needs to be of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can't be orchestrated. Now, I do want to create as a pastor an environment in our church services that is conducive to the Holy Spirit being able to work if your heart is open. But there's a difference in trying to just kind of drum an emotional thing up. But my point is this. You see a lot of times in those kind of meetings that every service, or at a camp in particular, every last service of the camp, there's this huge outpouring of people coming forward. But yet at the same time, I have been in services where it was a revival meeting or sometimes sincerely at a camp where uh, it took until the last day for the Holy Spirit to break me down enough to where I was willing to let go. So I want you to just kind of picture this for a moment. Let's say that you've got some issues in your life, some things you're struggling with, some sin in your life that you're trying to cope with, that you're trying to overcome. And we're beginning a revival meeting today. The evangelist is preaching instead of me and we're set up for tonight and for the next three or four or five nights. And, uh, and we go through that and now here it is, it's the last night and you have been beaten to a pulp by the Spirit of God all week long, but you haven't given in. Last night comes and you finally break. You come to the altar and you don't care who's in the room. You don't care how long you're there. You don't care if the pastor dismisses the service and sends everybody home and leaves you there. You're just taking care of business with God. And for the next month, all that matters is you and God. I think, and I realize this is my opinion, so it doesn't mean a whole lot, that that's about as close as most of us ever come to trying to follow God with our whole heart. And at last, sometimes coming home from camp for the ride home for a week or two with our whole heart. I can be cleansed. I can't have God's blessing. But I must seek him with my whole heart. Are you seeking him this morning? Can you honestly look in your own heart and and between you and the Lord and no one else matters say Lord I'm seeking you with all my heart because until I seek God with all my heart I miss out on much of what God has for me and I certainly will never fully become all that God wants me to be I can be cleansed but I must know his word 
and I must heed his word, but I also must be seeking him with all my heart. Thirdly, this morning, if I'm willing to allow God to open my eyes, I can obtain his blessing. I can be cleansed. Thirdly, I would say I can become an effective Christian. All of us, I would hope, would want to be an effective Christian. We, we want to be the kind of Christians that God can empower and can use. I want you to notice in verse 18 in our text verse this morning, uh, what he's saying here. He's saying, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Uh, what I would say here is that I can effectively understand the word of God. I can effectively understand. When I'm seeking God with all my heart and my heart is cleansed, then I can effectively understand. I cannot effectively understand when my mind and my heart is cluttered with the things of this world or with my own sin. There must be a cleansing. We want blessing, but blessing comes with a cost. And the beginning of that cost is cleansing. And then once we are cleansed, we can learn to become an effective Christian. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that I can begin to effectively understand his word. If I don't understand his word, I cannot properly live his word. And if I don't properly live his word, I'll never be the proper testimony and witness to those around me uh, as I live my life, uh, hopefully to bring him, bringing him glory. I can effectively understand. Not only that, uh, secondly, I would say I can effectively relate. Notice verse number 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not in my commandments from me. I'm not talking about I can effectively relate to you or to someone out in the world. I'm talking about I can reflectively, effectively relate to the reason that I'm here and the purpose that God has for my life. We're strangers here. And I, praise God, I was born in the United States and I'm an American. I'm grateful for that and for all of our problems and for all of the, you know, fears that I have if, if the lunatics get control of things. I get kind of in trouble for saying stuff like that, but I try not to, but forgive me. <laughs> but the reality is, uh, you know, I, all of us are concerned about those things and need to be in prayer for our country and our leaders. Uh, but I'm a Christian first. My citizenship is dual. Both of my daughters-in-law have dual citizenship. They're Canadian citizens and U.S. citizens. That, but I, I'm a dual citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven first. I can relate to my reason for being here, to my position here, when I understand that this is not my home, that I am just passing through. I realize we sing the song, and, uh, but it, it doesn't, it makes it, it is truth. That we are here and we should have an eternal perspective. This world is not my home. And that's really the point here, that I should view everything that's going on around me in my life, in my world, in my decision making, not in what it's going to do for me today or tomorrow, but what impact is it going to have on my eternal outcome? my eternal value, my eternal impact? How are the things that I'm doing today, the little seemingly insignificant things, how are they impacting my life? How are they driving my life? What is it going to lead me to in, in, in method and way of impacting eternity? This is just such a small, finite part of our existence. But we will live for eternity. And what we do now impacts that. What are we doing that impacts that eternity? Am I relating to my relationship with God, to God's word, to fulfilling the will that God has for my life? The third thing I would say is that I can be effectively ed edified. 
I can be effectively edified. Notice verse number 24. And I think this is interesting. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Do you realize this morning that God gave us the church, yes, to worship, but part of the, a large part of the reason that God gave us the church is to edify one another? Do you realize this morning that if my eyes are not open, I cannot be edified? Not from the pulpit, not from my devotional life, not from an evangelist, not from a missionary, not from a brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because I'm contaminated. My thinking's contaminated. My processes are contaminated by my opinion, by your opinion, by uh, the whim of the world. I can be effectively edified if my heart is open to the word of God. Fourthly this morning, consider that if my eyes are open, I can consistently choose God. And that's really what this comes down to. And this is what it comes down to in the struggle through life. Especially, uh, you know, I think it's really the same for everybody. It's a little bit more pronounced maybe with someone that has a problem with alcohol or drugs or things because really it comes down to on that crucial moment, what am I going to choose? It's no different with any other sin, whether it's anger or, uh, or gluttony or bitterness or, uh, or hatred or, or whatever. It's all the same. It all has the same impact and the solution and the, the, the cure to the problem is all the same. His name is Jesus. But I have to choose him. And successfully living the Christian life, Miss Edie, I have to choose him every time. I have to make the right choice every time. I have to choose to live for the Lord. How do I do that? I, how do I consistently choose God? Notice uh, when we come down to verses 25 through 28 is that if I'm relying on, the reality is this, if I rely on my own strength to choose God, I'll fail. Maybe not every time, but many times. And at the most important times, the most damaging times. If I would live it and do it correctly and have success, I must Draw my strength from the Lord. Notice verses 25 through 8. My soul cleaveth unto the dust. Quicken thou me according to thy word. Make me alive and energize me according to thy word. I have declared my ways and thou heardest me. Teach me thy statutes, thy principles. Make me to understand the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. This section of eight verses have are dealing almost entirely with making uh, choosing to live God's way. Choosing to do things God's way. I have to draw strength from him. Not only that, it gives me strength to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse number 30. I have chosen the way of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. I have chosen the way of truth. Thy judgments I have laid before me. And what I'm saying this morning is if I would consistently choose God that I must draw my strength from the Lord and I must be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Seeking God with all your heart. So we close this morning and you could almost list this as almost a separate point, but really it's the conclusion this morning. Verses 33 through 34 deal with living a devoted life. The first eight verses talk about obtaining God's blessing. The second eight verses about being cleansed. The next eight verses, 17 through 24, about uh, walking effectively in God's way. In uh, the verse 25 through 32 deal much with the, the choosing of his way. And then verses 33 through 40 uh, are about living a devoted life. 
How do I live that devoted life? And he lays it out here for us really clearly. Notice in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord. Verse 34. Give me understanding. Verse 35. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments. Verse 36. Incline mine heart unto thy testimonies. Verse 37. Turn mine eyes from beholding vanity. Verse 38. Establish thy word unto thy servant. Verse 39. Turn away my reproach which I fear. That gets back to cleansing. Verse 40. I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. As we conclude this morning I would say this. That if I would live truly a devoted Christian life that makes an eternal impact for the things of God that my prayer must be and my focus in Jesus must be teach me. Verse 33. Give me understanding. Verse 34. Verse 35. Keep me on course. Verse 36. May keep my heart in love with God and then turn my heart away from self on to God. Quicken thou me. In verse 37 and in verse 40. God, I realize I cannot do this on my own. You must do it in me. I cannot do it in my own strength. I cannot do it in the power of my flesh. I cannot do it of my own accord. I am completely and utterly and helplessly dependent upon you to take my feeble faith and to marry it and merge it with the indwelling spirit of God that you've placed within me. That I might have my eyes open to your word that I might behold wondrous things from you. What wondrous things? Is it not a wondrous thing that God would bless us? Is it not a wondrous thing that God would cleanse us repeatedly for the same thing over and over again? Would it, is it not amazing that God would allow us to be effective in our Christian life? Is it not wondrous that God could help us to consistently choose him? Is it not wondrous that God and his love and his power and his grace would make it possible for us to live a life that's devoted to him so that when we stand before him one day in judgment that he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are your eyes open this morning? Are you willing to open them this morning? Are you willing to say, Lord, Block me from my own opinion about this issue or this circumstance or this decision that I have to make. Show me only your word. Block out of my mind traditions of men and show me from your word. You know, you'd be surprised at how many pastors would, would advise you not to just examine the scripture and get an answer. Do what we've, you've got to take into account everything that's been done. Now there's value in tradition, don't get me wrong. There's value in a lot of things the way we've done them. But the reality is, is that this is all that I need. Amen. This is it. If I can't get it from here, it really doesn't matter. That's a wondrous thing. Are my eyes open? Am I willing to say, God, would you open my eyes and show me what you want? Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come 
and to worship you without persecution. Lord, thank you that we have the ability this morning to choose you. And Lord, I pray that you give us a desire to have open eyes this morning. I pray that you would help us to lay aside the distractions of the world and to focus solely on your word. Lord, mold us and shape us into the people that you want us to be. Make us, help us to be effective Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.